The left has a new euphemism. You've heard of mostly peaceful protesters, but have you heard of mostly unarmed criminals? <laughs> well, that's, that's the new one from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. So they, they've since changed the headline. The original headline regarded that man, Jacob Blake, who resisted arrest and he had a warrant out for his arrest and he was uh, convicted of sexual assault and domestic violence. And then he reached into his car and finally the police shot him. So the original headline for this incident from Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Jacob Blake had knife in car, but was otherwise unarmed. Wisconsin DOJ says, as it releases name of Kenosha officer who shot him in the back. Now, everyone knew that there was a weapon in this car. Uh, we weren't able to say that because you want, want to give them the benefit of the doubt in the story, but it was pretty clear he was reaching in for a weapon. Now we know that he was reaching in for a weapon, but other than that, he was, he was mostly otherwise unarmed. Later, they changed the headline because it got so much flack on the internet. So now it is Wisconsin Attorney General Josh Cole says Jacob Blake had knife in car but would not clarify if responding officers knew about it. Well, they don't have to know about it. It's not that the responding officers are mind readers or that they had already cased his car. The fact is when you're resisting arrest like that and you're a wanted violent criminal and you reach into a car while the cops have guns on you, you can't take that chance. You can use common sense. Common sense is not too common anymore. Meanwhile, while the left is trying to downplay this sort of violence, downplay these sort of threats, they're, they're trying to gin up violence all around the country in the form of riots. We will get into life and death on the ballot. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. The Democrats and the militant arm of the Democratic Party, these violent rioters in the streets, they're getting life and death exactly backwards. They are, they are threatening and damaging life. They are celebrating death. The opposite is true at the RNC. The RNC had an amazing couple of nights on questions of life and death, on questions of science and on questions of religion and philosophy. It was really, really excellent stuff, which we will get into. First though, my favorite comment from yesterday from Amber says, CNN had to remove violent from the Chiron as the peace intensified. <laughs> yes, that's the, uh, I forgot about that one. Uh, we just talked about it yesterday, but there, there are so many of these things that CNN has this line, violent protesters in the Chiron, and then they have to take it away, bring it back with no violence at all. No violence at all, because to use another mainstream media euphemism, when the protests, when the peaceful protests intensify, they become violent. Another example that the left doesn't know how to use English, or maybe they do know how to use English, and that's why they're so interested in twisting it. We will get into that. First, though, I got to thank our friends over at Pure Talk. So I know what you think. You think that your cell phone bill always has to be as high as it is, and you're never going to know the right cost, and it's going to keep going up and up and up, and there's just nothing you can do about it, right? Why? Because you want to use the best uh, cell networks, right? You want to use, what, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile. Oh, you want to use all the big ones, and so you're just stuck, and you got to pay a ton of money, and that's all there is, right? Wrong. What if I told you that Pure Talk USA uses the exact same network as one of those carriers, same towers, same exact coverage, but costs half. I know that sounds too good to be true. I know you can't believe that. You got to trust me on this. You got to try it out. You can get right now unlimited talk, text, and two gigs of data for $20 a month. Not $20 plus $50 of fees. $20. Done. Average person right now is saving $400 a year 
using these guys. So why is it so much cheaper? Because there's no retail stores. There's no billion dollar a year ad campaigns. There's no value adds to your contract that you end up paying for. And you only pay for the data that you need. Plus, this is my favorite part maybe, customer service right here in the U.S. Here's the deal. Unlimited talk, unlimited text, two gigs of data for just 20 bucks a month. All you need to do, grab your mobile phone, dial pound 250, say keyword Michael Knowles. That is pound 250. In the modern parlance, it's hashtag 250. Say keyword Michael Knowles. When you do, you will save 50% off your first month, which is already going to save you a ton of money. Go check it out. The left uses euphemism right? The austere religious scholar, mostly peaceful protesters. Peaceful protests intensify. Otherwise unarmed criminals. That's what political correctness is, is euphemism. Using soft words or outright dishonest words to obscure truths that the left does not want to, to convey to you. That's what jargon is. Whenever you see jargon in the social sciences, most especially, but in any sort of any field that becomes politicized, they'll use ostensibly technical jargon to sap all the life, all the imagery, all the vividness out of, out of what they're trying to say so that you don't know what they really mean. This is not only done to push narratives on crime and race, although that's what the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel is doing right now. That's what the left has been doing with all of these riots and with, with coronavirus too, which we'll get to in a little bit. Most especially though, when the left uses euphemism like this, they're using it on the issue of abortion. Okay. It, because abortion is so, it's a little baby and you've got to defend killing a baby if you support abortion. So you've got to twist language in this way that is, that is so beyond any realm of reason. The RNC called the Democrats out for this in a way that, that had more teeth, that was more vivid than I've ever seen before at a Republican National Convention because they had Abby Johnson, who's a former Planned Parenthood employee. And she was a real, I mean, she wasn't a low level employee. She was being promoted up the chain. She had been given the uh, Margaret Sanger Award, Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood. She had been uh, given uh, lots of accolades. They saw her as a future leader of the organization. And then she realized the reality of abortion and she left. Now she's one of the biggest pro-life advocates in the country. She's a subject of the movie Unplanned. So she laces into Margaret Sanger. She laces into Planned Parenthood. And then she spills the beans. Then she gives a vivid personal account of what abortion actually looks like. Later in August, my supervisor assigned me a new quota to meet, an abortion quota. I was expected to sell double the abortions performed the previous year. When I pushed back, underscoring Planned Parenthood's public-facing goal of decreasing abortions, I was reprimanded and told, abortion is how we make our money. But the tipping point came a month later when a physician asked me to assist with an ultrasound-guided abortion. Nothing prepared me for what I saw on the screen an unborn baby fighting back, desperate to move away from the suction. And I'll never forget what the doctor said next. Beam me up, Scotty. The last thing I saw was a spine twirling around in the mother's womb before succumbing to the force of the suction. Very difficult to listen to that. And when Abby Johnson says that, or when a pro-life advocate says something like that, that is merely describing what happens in an abortion, just describing the physical process of it. 
or describing a conversation that someone has with a physician from Planned Parenthood or with an executive from Planned Parenthood, we're told, oh, that's, mm, that's offensive. You can't do that. You can't talk about that. That's offensive. Don't, it's going to make people feel, feel the bads. You know, it's not going to make them feel, feel good. So it's offensive to describe what people are actually doing to the tune of a million babies a year, but it's inoffensive to lie about it, to say it's women's health. It's the opposite of women's health. It's reproductive health. It's certainly the opposite of reproductive health. It's uh, the right to choose, right to choose what? Having slavery in the country is the right to choose, right? Committing a genocide is the right to choose. Someone's choosing it. What's the choice? <laughs> Who cares about the fact that it is a choice? We're always making choices all the time. What are you choosing to do? That's the question. But this is how the left manipulates language effectively is because people don't want to hear ugly truths. That's the point of euphemism is to use a word that is, that's good. That sounds, that sounds gooder. It <laughs> sounds more pleasant, but the reality is what's key here. And uh, Abby Johnson uh, obviously has so much stature and credibility because she actually saw it. The left, they always say they love science, right? They always love listening to the scientists. What if the, the scientists have a, a hard truth to say? What if people who have seen these scientific processes have a hard truth to say? What about when the science is not convenient? Moving off the subject of abortion onto the subject of coronavirus, the left-wing governors, most especially Andrew Cuomo, worst governor on this subject in the entire country, has, has now decided he's no longer going to listen to the scientists. We'll get into that in one second. First, I want to thank our friends over at Ring. You know, Ring will help you keep an eye on your home, wherever you are. You could be in your home, which is helpful. You could be at the office. You could be on a beach. You could be anywhere and check in, especially these days when a lot of people are dropping off maybe more packages than you're used to, when people's schedules are a little bit more disrupted. There's a thousand reasons why protecting your home matters to you. Ring has security products for every corner of your home, inside and out. And the best thing of all, of course, is you can see it all in one simple app. This is, this is actually my favorite part about Ring. One, I like that I can trust Ring, that I can rely on Ring. Sweet little Elise is a good shot, but you don't want to rely on that. But I, I love that it makes you feel like you're in the future. You know, it's so convenient. Even I, who am not particularly good at technology, uh, it's easy. I can use it. It's not too hard. Also, I give, I give Ring away to my friends who buy homes. And uh, it's a housewarming gift. And the best part for me, it's inexpensive. So I don't need to worry about it. I saw uh, my friend's ring device work just the other day because uh, she tracks a possum with it. She wants to make sure it's not an intruder. It's usually not. I hope so far it has not been an intruder. It has been a cute little possum that we've actually seen grown up in part thanks to Ring. Get a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit at ring.com slash Knowles. Comes with Ring's video doorbell three and Chime Pro. Perfect way to start your Ring experience. Plus you get two, two day free shipping. Go to ring.com slash Knowles. That is ring.com slash Knowles. So Andrew Cuomo right now, worst governor in America on this issue of coronavirus and the lockdowns, he insisted on a 14-day quarantine if people come in from other states where he thinks coronavirus is exploding. This is very frustrating to me because I've got a lot of relatives and friends in New York. I'm not able to go see them because I'm certainly not going to quarantine for 14 days. I don't have that kind of time. Nobody does. So all of this was based on the CDC guidelines. Listen to the scientists, except the CDC has now lifted that guideline. The CDC says you, you no longer need to quarantine. It doesn't recommend quarantining. Here's Andrew Cuomo's response. The CDC reversed its guidance to say people in close contact with a COVID positive person don't need to get tested. This is not science. It's politics. 
politics that are dangerous to public health. It's indefensible. So Andrew Cuomo, expert scientist, is now going to lecture the CDC on science because he says the CDC has become political. So he, a lifelong politician who's never done anything other than politics, knows much more about science and is certainly not political. Is that it? That's the argument he's making? Not a very convincing one. Also, he doesn't know the meaning of these words. Public health is political science. And not political science like this kind of useless subject you study in college, but political science meaning it is science that has a political dimension to it. Public and political are synonyms. They, they mean the same thing when we're talking about how we work together, how we apply certain, uh, certain methods, certain, certain other academic fields to the public. That makes it political. So obviously the CDC has a political dimension. It's a government agency. But how come when they issue guidelines that you like, it's not political, and when they issue guidelines that you don't like, it is political? Because what the left is saying is that politics is a bad word. We have to reduce politics. And what, what they want to assume is just that their political views are, are objective, they're true, they're always good, there's no debate. They're actually taking their politics outside the realm of politics, so they don't have to debate about their stupid policies. They can just do it, and then it's only the other guy's views. Though That's politics, and that not only is that up for debate, but really, you, you should just reject it outright. You know, the knee-jerk reaction from the left is listen to the scientists. You know, the right sometimes responds to that, too. So they'll say, okay, the left wanted to listen to science two weeks ago, but now they don't. Well, I'm, we're sticking strong and saying, you should listen to the scientists. I think that plays into the left's hands. I actually think that it's perfectly right to listen to the scientists and listen to the politicians and listen to the economists and listen to the military advisors and listen to the spiritual advisors, listen to religion, listen to philosophy, but more especially, listen to religion. The left's head it would explode if you were to say something like that. This was Trump's big mistake early on, by the way. When he would have these coronavirus briefings, he would only have a couple of scientists there. He wouldn't bring in all of the other aspects of politics and government. And certainly, there's not a, you know, not a chance that you would see a presidential press conference where a priest or a nun or somebody came up and spoke. Because it, as modern science has developed, questions of philosophy, the eternal questions, and certainly religious questions have been relegated away. But the only way that we're going to come to a sensible understanding of our society is if we incorporate those fields. The founders of America knew that. Uh, We knew that in this country until 50 years ago at most. And now we seem to have forgotten it. Well, one person didn't forget it. And this was the moment of the Republican National Convention. It's probably the greatest moment I've ever seen at a political party convention. A woman, a nun, Sister D.D. Bird, Sister Dr. D.D. Bird, completely stole the show. She uh, is with Little Workers of the Sacred Hearts. She's not only uh, a sister, she's not only a, a nun, she's a medical doctor. She's not only a medical doctor, she's an army surgeon. And she worked with, with refugees for many, many years. She actually, this, this nun in a habit, is actually Im- embodying a broader scope of politics, a broader scope of science, of whatever, you know, whatever sector you want to talk about, than just about anybody I've seen in the government. Right? She checks the box of religious. She checks the box of military. She checks the box of scientist. She checks the box of practical scientist because she's a surgeon. She checks the box of patriot. 
she, all of these things. The, the left would look at this woman wearing a, a, a traditional habit and say, oh my gosh, she's the most fringe sector of society. No, she's more mainstream than any of you people. And she gave a much broader view of this issue that Abby Johnson was just talking about, of this issue of life and death on the question of abortion. She acknowledges the most marginalized people on earth. Those refugees all share a common experience. They have been all marginalized, viewed as insignificant, powerless, and voiceless. And while we tend to think of the marginalized as living beyond our borders, the truth is the largest marginalized group in the world can be found here in the United States. They are the unborn. There it is. The left is always talking about the marginalized and the oppressed and the vulnerable. Nobody is more marginalized and oppressed and vulnerable than babies who are killed in the womb, who have absolutely no means of defending themselves, who are totally, and they're, they're killed with, at least with the consent of the government and their own mothers. That's, uh, there, there's no more, there's no more oppressed group on earth. And I love how uh, Sister Byrne, just, she just says these things matter-of-factly. She explains that not a big performance and arms flailing everywhere. Just very simple. She's just telling you the, the truth. Now, what, what the left would say if they didn't know her biographies, they'd say, oh, who cares? What does this nun know about anything? We, I want to hear from the scientists. Well, she gives you the science. As a physician, I can say without hesitation, life begins at conception. While what I have to say may be difficult for some to hear, I am saying it because I'm not just pro-life, I'm pro-eternal life, and I want all of us to end up in heaven together someday. Preach, sister, yes. Oh my gosh, if we could elect this woman president, it would be so great. She's got this view that she has the expertise, right? She obviously has medical expertise. She's a doctor. She's got this practical expertise. She's a surgeon, so she can speak to, but she's not locked into her field of expertise. She's not, she doesn't have blinders on. You know, the, one of the problem with public health officials is they might know something, usually they don't know anything about public health, but sometimes they do. The trouble is society and politics is about more than just making sure people never get the sniffles. It, it, there actually are other dimensions you have to weigh. And she's weighing those things. She goes, look, I'm telling you about life as a physical process. I'm also telling you about eternal life as a spiritual process. And you have to think about those things because we're not just flesh. We're not just meat puppets. We have a soul. We have an immaterial dimension to us. Everything we love and care about, love itself, is immaterial, right? Our dreams, our hopes, our loves, our joys, our ambitions, all of these things, they're not physical. They can't be measured under a microscope. Someone has to speak to those as well. And then Sister Byrne goes a step further. She goes even beyond the fields of science and religion, which are complementary to one another. She goes further. She gets into politics. Donald Trump is the most pro-life president that this nation has ever had, defending life at all stages. His belief in the sanctity of life transcends politics. President Trump will stand up against Biden-Harris, who are the most anti-life presidential ticket ever, even supporting the horrors of late-term abortion and infanticide. Because of his courage and conviction, President Trump has earned the support of America's pro-life community. Moreover, he has a nationwide of religious standing behind him. You'll find us here with our weapon of choice, the rosary. 
So thank you, Mr. President. We are all praying for you. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Sister Byrne. Yes, Donald Trump is the most pro-life president in American history. And I know a lot of people, a lot of religious people, they don't want to say that. They, the, the, the American religious life has been utterly castrated since the Johnson Amendment, since we're not now not allowed to speak about any matters that have any practical bearing on politics in churches, lest they lose their tax-exempt status. We're not allowed to discuss religious matters in schools. We're not allowed to pray in schools, which we were in the United States from the founding, since before the founding, all the way up until not so long ago. We're not even allowed to read the Bible in schools anymore. Doesn't make any sense, does it? Sister Byrne, however, is not going to be neutered like that. She's going to come right out and say it. It's not just that Trump is the most pro-life, it's that Biden and Harris are the most anti-life candidates in American history on a, on a mainstream level. They want to force taxpayers to pay for abortions. Should there be any limits on abortions? No, none, according to the Biden-Harris ticket. And she's out there to say it. And I think we should all learn something from that. It, it's this it's this intersection. It's this coming together of all these various fields that's so wonderful here. It's this integrity of her thought that the science informs the religion. The religion informs the science. Both the religion and the science inform the political. I'm sure you could expand that further. She obviously has a, a powerful mind and spirit. So I'm sure this brings, comes out into other fields and then brings it back together in an integrity of thought. That's something, that's something that we could all learn from. You can tell I'm very excited by this speech. It was a wonderful speech. And it, it threw into stark contrast the, these issues of life and death. So the left will burn down the country if a criminal dies while resisting arrest. And we've seen multiple examples of this in recent months. But uh, the left will cheer on the slaughter of one million innocent babies per year. It's a little odd, isn't it? And I don't even, I don't mean just to castigate them and say the left is, they're all just terribly malicious. I'm saying to be charitable about it, their view of life and death is, is completely backwards. They've got something's off in their perspective. I'll give you another example of this misunderstanding life and death. There are new court documents that are out right now, dated May 26th and June 1st, relating to George Floyd. George Floyd, the, the man who died uh, in police custody in Minneapolis. He wasn't in, I mean, he was on the ground. The police were arresting him. He had been resisting arrest. Then he was on the ground and and very sadly, he died. And this sparked all of these riots, you know, that we've been dealing with for the past several months. So the question is, was George Floyd asphyxiated to death? Was he choked to death? You know, they always talked about the, the police officer's knee on his neck. And George Floyd said, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Now, meanwhile, let's not forget, George Floyd also was yelling, I can't breathe, even before the officers really touched him when he was resisting arrest earlier in and around his own car. So that this, it was, it was difficult to believe it at the moment because he had already been saying it for a long time. But the chief Hennepin County medical examiner, Dr. Andrew Baker, now, according to these new documents, concluded that George Floyd likely died from a fentanyl overdose and found, quote, no physical evidence suggesting that he died of asphyxiation. They said that if Mr. Floyd had been found dead in his home or anywhere else and there were no other contributing factors, he would conclude that it was an overdose death. We'd been hearing about this for a while. George Floyd, despite the mainstream media's whitewashing to the contrary, had been there not only resisting arrest, uh, but was also on an insanely high dosage of illegal drugs, very powerful drugs that people die from every single day in this country. 
Now, because he was obviously under this intense stress, you could see his behavior was so erratic, even from the moment that the cops came and knocked on his window. It was so intense and erratic that that may have contributed some to his death. The fact that he was on the ground and, and the cop had his knee on his neck, that may have contributed to some of the stress that then caused his death. You can't take out of that the fact that he was on apparently, possibly a lethal dose of fentanyl already. Doesn't matter. The left doesn't want to hear that. They're going to erase it. They're going to force the medical examiner to change his conclusions, which is, which is what has happened here. The medical examiner did now conclude otherwise. The left is out for blood. Despite the, the scientist, right? This guy, the medical examiner is obviously a scientist. The left is out for blood and they're attacking anybody that they can to vent their rage. An elderly man, elderly man who was just defending a business in Kenosha, Wisconsin. That's the new state that the Democrats set on fire. He was attacked during a BLM riot. He was trying to stop a mattress store from being burned to the ground. This man is in his seventies. And take a listen. What you can hear on this cut is when the riots go from the LARPing, you know, the live action role play, the apparent euphoria among these riders of just burning things to the ground to realizing, wait a second, innocent people might be hurt here, to a real terror when this innocent man is hurt, when they go and knock him out. Take a listen. This poor man got his, house, his business caught on fire. So you can hear this. I'm sorry, sir. I'm very sorry you about can hear that, this. man. Yeah, really. This person's I, hey, pretty concerned who's filming. Dude, I'm going to help this guy. I don't give a if I get beat up. So she realized, gosh, this isn't, this isn't a good situation. She walks over there. This guy's got a fire extinguisher. and He's, he's just starts spraying the rioters. And the rioters start throwing things at this 70-year-old man. They just threw a bottle at this guy. But he's got the fire extinguisher there. One, because they're trying to set the place on fire. Now he's spraying the rioters there, and one goes over, knocks this guy out, knocks him down on the ground. 70-year-old man, or in his 70s, might be older. And this young, criminal, thug, degenerate comes over, knocks him out. Very hard to watch that. They broke his jaw, he had lacerations to his head. What did he do? He was trying to defend a business that they were looting and burning to the ground. And yet we're told by the left that those criminals, those people who have no place in a civilized society, they're the good guys. And that 70-year-old man trying to preserve business, society, law and order, civilization, that that man, he's the bad guy. They could have killed that guy. Maybe they did. I don't know. I mean, we know they broke his jaw. You know, he, was, he didn't look like he was in good shape. Seems to still be alive, though. That's how upside down it gets. Sean King, BLM activist, very prominent BLM activist. He's now, uh, he's now threatening the lives of, of uh, police officers here. He writes on Twitter, to the Kenosha Police Department, if you do not name the officer who brutally shot Jacob Blake on Sunday, we will simply begin naming officers from your department who may or may not be him. F it. Your protection of his identity is unethical. What's his name? So he's saying basically we're going we're gonna to dox all of the cops and encourage people to go attack them, right? That's, I don't think, I don't think he's going to name the cops so that people can throw them a birthday party so that they can do them violence. Even though from all of the evidence that we have, 
the use of force on Jacob Blake was completely justified, completely justified. This isn't the first time Sean King has done something like this. He has a history of making false accusations. In April 2019, he linked Robert Paul Cantrell, who was being held in jail on robbery charges, to the murder of a seven-year-old black girl, Jasmine Barnes, called him a racist, violent a-hole, his words. Cantrell then later committed suicide in his jail cell after his family received a, a torrent of awful, hateful messages that were sparked by, by Sean King's accusation. He doesn't care. What a sociopath this guy is. All of these people. Imagine knocking out a 70-year-old man because he's trying to defend a store. Not even use, he's not, he doesn't even have a weapon. He's got a fire extinguisher. Imagine that kind of stuff. Of course, I mean, if, you, if you're a member of a political party that is defending the wholesale slaughter of innocents, one million per year, babies, little babies in their mother's wombs, how could you not engage in a sociopathic politics? But we're not supposed to say that. We're supposed to use euphemisms. Really, really nice. Otherwise unarmed. These, the, the guy who knocked out the, the threw, a, threw a bottle at the, the 70, 70 year old man, otherwise unarmed, knocked him out, but otherwise unarmed. This gets to a question of, uh, of, of white guilt because, uh, you know, the, the unifying message of the riots has been race, black lives matter. And we have to be anti-racist, but what that really means is that all white people are racist. Someone summed this up very well. A prominent Twitter account said, if you're white and not ashamed, you're a racist. And I, th- I think that actually sums up in a, in a pithy way, the view of the left. Obviously that is ridiculous. If you're white and you're not ashamed, you're a racist. Why would I be ashamed of the color of my skin? I, I actually, I'm, you know, a little bit swarthy, so I don't, I'm sort of like, if, if you're beige and not, if you're taupe, if you're off-white, if you're a little Sicilian and you're not ashamed, you're a racist. Obviously that's ridiculous. The response to this though, is not, I think, to shame white people less. I think it's to shame all the other people more, <laughs> right? I don't, I don't think the problem in our culture is that we have too much shame. Obviously, people are, are, very ignorant people are ashamed of America and of Western civilization and of the color of their skin. I mean, that's obviously stupid and people should not do that. But we, we don't have a superabundance of shame in this culture. That, that's certainly the case. I think the kind, of, the kind of dumbest view on this whole issue is that white people should feel guilt because they're white. That's extremely dumb and stupid. Uh, I think that a slightly more enlightened view here is that uh, all people should feel ashamed because we all have a broken human nature and all have fallen short of the glory of God and all men sin because we, we're broken and we're not going back to the Garden of Eden anytime soon. But I think the best view here, and this is the view that has animated our entire Western civilization, is uh, to quote St. Paul, as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one man's act of righteousness leads to acquittal and life for all men. That's the happy ending. That's the good news. Redemption. It, it, you know, the left actually intuits something when they, th- when they think of white guilt. They, they, it's, in this very narrow way, the left realizes that some people have a flawed human nature. I, right? I guess that's the most, that's the most, ba- they, some people have a flawed nature. They're born broken. Now, what their view is wrong because they don't realize that, that this is true of all people, right? And then the view is especially wrong because they don't realize there's such a thing as redemption. There's no redemption in leftism. There's no, 
there, there's no way out other than to, to burn down the cities. There's, because there's no way to be redeemed, you've just got to tear everything to the ground. And that's what we're seeing happen all around us. What do we do about it? I will get into, before we get to the mailbag, I will get into this case of Kyle Rittenhouse. He's a, a 17-year-old teenager who defended himself in these riots and is now uh, going to be charged with murder if he hasn't already. Uh, I think both sides are kind of getting this issue wrong, so we'll get into that in one second. First, though, I've got to thank you for subscribing to the Michael Knoll Show YouTube channel. We are now over 190,000 subscribers. That's great. Appreciate it. Uh, backstage is coming up this Friday. We're going to be talking all about the RNC. Should be fun. And then tonight, tonight, get ready, tonight at 8.15 Eastern, 5.15 Pacific, I will be live streaming the final night of RNC speakers, including President Kofefe himself, Donald J. Trump. I will be watching with you, our All Access members, taking your questions and comments live. You know, there are a ton of benefits of being an All Access member, so head on over to dailywire.com right now, dailywire.com slash Knowles. Get 20% off All Access and two leftist tears tumblers with coupon code ACCESS. Dailywire.com slash Knowles, coupon code access, get 20% off your membership. We'll be right back with one more story and the mailbag. I've got to get to this Kyle Rittenhouse story because it's kind of taken over the internet and the public discourse about, about these riots in Wisconsin right now. So, Kyle Rittenhouse, 17-year-old kid, you know, teenager, uh, has been arrested by police for first-degree murder. He, he turned himself into the police yesterday. Why? We actually played a little bit of this clip just sort of offhand yesterday. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse was walking around during these riots, and he had an AR-15. And a group of these rioters came up and started really attacking him, and he defended himself. Take a listen. You see one guy kick him in the head. So then Rittenhouse takes out his gun and starts shooting people. And then the mobsters who are trying to attack him go away. That's the purpose of a firearm. That is the purpose of self-defense. We have firearms, a right to firearms in this country because of self-defense. So he shot at least two BLM rioters. One of those rioters, by the way, you're probably not going to see this on the mainstream media. One of those rioters attacking him had a gun and is a convicted felon. So this is, as, you forget about mostly otherwise unarmed. This is as clear an example as possible that this kid used his gun right. By the way, the kid's a good shot. So the kid was, he didn't have, he wasn't shooting 10,000 bullets all over the place. He wasn't, he was very precise and he was able to get his attackers away from him. So the basic take on this, I think, is self-defense. It's very clearly self-defense here. But it's not quite as simple as all that. Now, there's, there, apparently, he may have shot his gun earlier, and then people are reacting to that. Uh, so we don't, we don't have great video from, from that. Uh, we don't know exactly, was that in self-defense too? This clearly was. Was, that, was he just out looking to snipe people? From this video, that seems unlikely because he's got such good discipline with his gun. However, I think the self-defense argument is, it's not quite as simple because this guy walked into a provocative situation with a gun. He, he came here to this riot with a gun. Now he says he wanted to protect people, right? But other people might say he was looking for trouble. If you, you know, leave your guns at home, son. Don't take your guns to town, boy. Don't take your guns to town. 
very wise words. But it's not quite as simple as all that, that he was looking for trouble and he should have left his gun at home and stay home and played video games. Because no longer can we rely in many places on the civil authority. The civil authority is telling the police to stand down. They've lost control of multiple cities in the country. Anarchy is raging everywhere. So if I'm more than happy to let the cops take care of things and I, I don't have to pick up my gun. But if the cops can't take care of things, if the civil government is not going to ensure law and order and protect our lives and property, then we have to protect them ourselves. It's just how it works. Another, another good reason for the Second Amendment. So what's the answer here? What's the answer? It seems to me it was a bad idea for this kid to take the gun out and go to this place. It's ruined his life, right? He's going to be charged with murder. He might well be convicted. 17, 17 years old. As a political matter now, this is all anyone's going to talk about. They're not going to talk about the actual marauding criminals who started the whole thing and were burning the city to the ground over nothing. Over cops doing their job when a violent criminal, sexual assailant, domestic abuser was resisting arrest and then reaching into a car that had a weapon in it, but otherwise was mostly unarmed. It, it, from a personal standpoint, it was stupid. From a political standpoint, it was stupid. It may have been somewhat courageous, but the line between courage and recklessness is a little bit blurry sometimes. One has to have prudence. And I, I just, I, I hope we, we should defend this kid for, from what the evidence that we have, we should defend him because it was clearly self-defense in that video. But on the other side, we should not encourage people to be doing this sort of thing. It's completely counterproductive. It's what the left wants. It's what the left is trying to provoke. They're trying to provoke any kind of right-wing violence here so that they can focus on that through the election, which is what all of this is about. This is all about the election. They're, they're willing to see people die for the election. They're willing to keep the economy completely shut down, which will cause suicides and overdose deaths, it already has, to win an election. What will that election, what's, what's the sacred right of that election? What is the issue that the left holds more sacred than anything? You see this in the court judicial confirmation hearings. You see it in, in all of the debates. The right to kill a baby in the womb. It, they're all connected. There is an integrity of thought. We talked about integrity of thought with Sister Byrne. There is an integrity of thought here. If you're willing to let cities burn to the ground, if you're willing to steal people's property, whether through violent thugs or, or the government coming to your door, if you're willing to allow people to die, break a few eggs to make an omelet, if you're willing to kill babies in the womb, there is an integrity of thought that presents a worldview that is that in a certain sense is coherent. It all fits together. But when you look at human nature, when you look at who we are, what we're here for, how we got here, it's, com it com it's completely incoherent. Those are the choices. Those are, not every election, not, not every political situation presents choices on life and death, as clear as that. But the choice is clear. Let's get into the mailbag in our remaining few moments that I have, I have pushed to the very limit. From Thomas, besides abortion, what other reason should prevent Catholics or religious people from voting for Biden-Harris? Thank you and love the show. Well, another big issue, obviously abortion's a big one. You're talking about killing a baby in the womb. We've been talking about it for a lot of the show. Another big issue is socialism. Now, I don't think Joe Biden would call himself a socialist. I don't think Harris would call herself a socialist. But Biden and Harris are not real people <laughs> in the sense that they're not, they weren't chosen because 
They've got some distinct personality and a distinct point of view. They are empty suits blowing in the wind who are chosen to be the vessels of progressivism. And progressivism clearly has trended toward socialism. AOC, right, is the most prominent socialist in the country. And the head of the Democratic Party, Tom Perez, chairman of the DNC, said that AOC is the future of the Democratic Party. And Catholics cannot vote for socialism. They can't. Uh, you know, you can read many uh, papal writings on this. Rerum novarum, quod apostolici muneris. You can read the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So- socialism ca- is not tolerable for Catholics. I, I think it was Pope Leo XIII who referred to socialists as a pest, a plague, a wicked confederacy that seeks to steal the gospel itself. It's a false religion. It's a parallel and false religion based on a false anthropology, a false understanding of man and God that Catholics cannot uh, support. And if they do, they will be imperiling their own lives. And you know, we're pro-life and we're also pro-eternal life. From Dan. Michael, longtime fan, recent cigar enthusiast, was wondering if you had any barber pole wrapped cigars, and if so, what are your favorites and thoughts on them? I recently had the Dirty Hooligan by Alec Bradley and thought it was a great, mild treat. Love the show, despite what Clavin may say about you. Keep your head up. He spelled Clavin with an E. I actually, I spell Clavin, E-E-E-E-E-E. I have, I lo- so I, every Christmas I buy a barber pole cigar. It looks, it looks like a candy cane, like a delicious tobacco candy cane, but I, I don't order them. That's one cigar that I don't order from kind of the big companies because I've, I don't know, I've found some of the more mass produced ones are, are not as great. Like if I'm going to, if I'm, if I'm going to go to my favorite cigar website, Thompson, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get just the more kind of standard cigars and, you know, any, anything from the kind of uh, more inexpensive end all the way up to the really top shelf stuff. The, the barber pole ones are a little more novelty. I get them in the Bronx where, you know, when I was growing up, we would do all of our grocery shopping in the Italian neighborhood of the Bronx called Arthur Avenue, best neighborhood left in New York. And uh, you, they would have in there a, a store called La Casa Grande Cigars, which is in the Arthur Avenue meat market. I've been smoking cigars there since I was 15. When I was under 18, they obviously couldn't sell them to me, so they just like give them to me right off the table. And <laughs> they're great. And they make a really good one. So I'd recommend if you do find yourself in the Bronx anytime, especially around Christmas, go try that one out. From Sarah, I have a question that seems to be getting more and more serious. If I were confronted or assaulted and I fight back or fire shots at the attacker, I may be the person who goes to jail. Is it better to roll over and hope the attackers show mercy, or should I defend myself and hope the judge isn't a progressive criminal who will face fire on his own judgment day? It's funny, we were just talking about that. If you've got to defend yourself, defend yourself. I wouldn't think too much about this. I wouldn't let the left make you roll over and hand over your life uh, to violent marauders, unless there can be some spiritual benefit to that, you know, turning the other cheek in a defiant and personal way, sure. Maybe doing some productive good. uh, But as a general rule, it is a well-established moral principle that you have the right to defend yourself. And I would defend yourself if you're really at risk, but I wouldn't go looking for it. I wouldn't put yourself in that kind of a provocative situation necessarily, because you, you know that the, the establishment is stacked against you, the whole establishment, the media, the universities, the government, the, the judiciary, the, all of it, big tech, which is going to control the flow of information. All of that is stacked against you. And so, you know, it's very important to be 
wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. You've got it. There's, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing moral about being foolish. You want, you want to be a little clever about it. You want to, you want to be prudent. From Alona, dear Mr. Knowles, can you please explain to a non-Christian how you're supposed to love your enemy? Is it possible to love your enemy if you don't believe in Jesus? Thanks. You're my favorite Daily Wire host. That's very kind. I don't know if it's possible to love your enemy if you don't believe in in Jesus. Probably not, but I'm, I'm sure some people who think they don't believe in Jesus or who don't explicitly believe in Jesus would say that they can love their enemies and they'll use some kind of vague humanitarian language. But what they don't realize is that vague humanitarian language comes directly from Christianity and it's just been watered down and made less coherent over the centuries. So, you know, that, that case I think is just an example of very, very watered down Christianity where people don't know why they do the things that they do. The reason to love your enemy is because, one, because of human solidarity and, and human dignity. All men are made in the image of God. All men. You can think about the Declaration of Independence, the equality principle. All men are created equal. In that, all men are equally men, right? We're all made in the image of God. So that would be one reason. You are part of humanity. You're not just a floating atom out there. So you are part of humanity. And so you, you can love your enemy in as much as he is part of the humanity that you share. And because there but for the grace of God go you. Right? All men are fallen. We do, no one has a perfect nature walking around earth right now. And all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So because I know that I sin and the consequence of sin is death, and I'm not even making a prescriptive statement here, though I suppose I am as well, but I'm making a descriptive statement. We have death in the world. Sin and death have pervaded the world as a result of the fall. So because sin is deserving of death, we recognize that we have something in common with this enemy. Now, the good news is there is redemption here because, you, because one man sinned and then all men died and then one man died so that all men could live. Jesus. And we should be very wonderful. We should be very happy about this. This is wonderful news. And we should extend that same grace that we were given uh, to the, the people who offend us. We have offended God. We owe a debt to God. He has forgiven us, but he will only forgive us in as much as we forgive others. This is the Lord's prayer. Right. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, they will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is a matter that should come, obviously, as a fruit of the Spirit, uh, but also it should just come rationally because we know that we have been forgiven a much larger debt against a much more perfect being than, than we will have to forgive we imperfect beings. Maybe that, I hope that sums it up. Let me know. I, I can try to go in. You know, we could talk about this for a very long time, but uh, I hope that clears it up. If not, right back in again. We'll, we'll get into a, a bit more. Final question. Andy, hey, Michael, you know quite a bit about theology, so you probably picked up on this. Trump mentioned in a fairly funny remark the other day that Biden is hurting God. We all know that Biden and the other Catholic or otherwise Christian Democrats definitely advocate against many core teachings of the church. Now, during the DNC, the media and other Democrats are referring to Biden as a light bringer. I seem to remember a certain fallen angel whose name means light bringer. I don't believe that Joe Biden is the devil or anything like that. It's simply astounding how the Democrats can unintentionally parody themselves so precisely, keep owning those lips. Well, great point. And you know, it's funny, this, I didn't really intend for it to be this way, but this is obviously a very religious show, but I, I hope, I like to think there's some integrity of thought going from the political and the cultural, scientific, whatever, up to the religious. That's a very funny coincidence. 
he, they're all referring to him as the light bringer. He's going to bring light. And light bringer is uh, another name for Lucifer, for Satan. The, this is the thing about a religious view of the world. I mean, I would say specifically a Catholic view of the world. You could say Christian more broadly. And, and in this desiccated culture, even if you have any religious sense, you will see this. The world becomes very symbolic. You see symbols in places. You realize, because, because you're talking about the deeper meaning of the world, the, of the physical world, you, you can see in physical objects symbols of other things. You can see coincidences all around the world. There's a, a great line from Alexander Pope, which is used as a, as a, a blurb on uh, my uh, friend, Father George Rutler's excellent book, Coincidentally. And the line is, all nature is but art unknown to thee, all chance direction, which thou canst not see. And when you see a coincidence like that, where the Democrats are basically admitting, we're doing the devil's work, <laughs> you should not ignore that because I think it's probably telling you something. All right, I'll see you tonight. I'm going to be hosting the RNC All Access. I'll see you tomorrow on Backstage and I'll see you Monday. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. Production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there.